Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you, praise team. And like it said uh, in that last thing, it goes perfectly with my sermon. When I finish a race, she just said, don't stink. So that's always nice. Thank you, lovely wife. Uh, but, it's, uh, but yet not I, but through Christ through me. There's, there's, we can do anything in this world and it still will not amount to the perfect grace that, that Christ has given us. Um, thank you so much, praise team. Um, I, I have a funny story about the praise team. I was trying to become a member of the praise team. Um, I'm still <laughs> if y'all know me, I, I can't sing worth a lick. I mean, it is, it's bad. I, I got 0% and my wife got 100 of it. Um, but when we had ministry sign-up forms here, we, uh, you know, we, I, I wanted to work with the youth. I feel like I have a calling for youth. And uh, Tay and I, we work with uh, the middle school kids and the Sunday school and just love doing that. And we also uh, do missions, and, and that's been amazing, hard work and rewarding. Um, and then it said music ministry, and I was like, I'm just going to mess around, and I'm going to check the box, music ministry, and that I play an instrument. And uh, it said, what instrument do you play? And I said, bagpipes. <laughs> I thought it was a clear joke, okay? Because <laughs> if you look at me, this is not like a guy who plays bagpipes, I don't think. And uh, so I for, huh? I think it looked mighty nice right there. But um, I forgot about that I did that. And then fast forward maybe five, six Sundays after that, we got the ministry sign-up form that showed everybody signing up for their ministry. And then all of a sudden, there is a music ministry sheet that said, Grant will be playing the bagpipes. <laughs> I had a lot of questions that Sunday. It was, it was pretty great. But uh, uh, for those of y'all that don't know me, my name's Grant McLaughlin. Uh, my wife and I and our kids have been here, how long? About a year and a half now. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Um, it, 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 it is honestly a, a complete honor uh, being able to come over here today and, and preach with you. Um, please continue to pray for uh, Jason and the team out there. Um, they are doing amazing work in Uganda and glad that they are getting back home today. So, um, Before we go into our sermon, I'm going to be talking about 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, so you could use this time to bring up your scripture and all that. Um, while y'all are doing that, I'm going to give you a little story about myself. I... My first love, sorry, babe, was baseball, all right? That was, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I had a ball and a bat in my hand. Am I right? My mom was here. That's what I was asking. And um, I was obsessed with baseball, and that love carried over into, from when I was a kid into high school. Into high school, I was lucky enough to go to college and play a little bit of baseball as well. And that is where I learned that baseball, or college baseball particularly, is a business. That is your job. I mean, the usual time is you get up at five and you go for a team run. I mean, just automatically. Or a team practice or a team lift or something like that. You wake or you go, get that done, you run, get showered, try and get something to eat before your classes get, uh, get started. Your classes have to be evolved around the baseball season. 
So it's literally, we're done by 1.30, 2 o'clock at the latest, and we're at the ball field for another three hours. After that, we have another team workout. And then if you're a freshman, you have to go back to the baseball field and clean up from that practice and everything. It's always great, right? But that is when I found out that this is not just a sport. You, you're being held accountable. And there were, there were times where I had to be held accountable through high school in baseball, but this is just taking it to another level. And we had rules that we had to go by, right? Um, one was, for some reason, this is so 2009, for some reason, the fad back then was that guys would just wear pajama bottoms, like just the flannel pajama bottoms. And my coach was like, absolutely not. You cannot wear those, right? We couldn't even wear t-shirts. Um, we had to wear something with at least a collar, so at least a polo, and then go from there, right? Um, if we were wearing a hat, we could wear any hat we wanted to, but if we were wearing a hat, we couldn't have it backwards, sideways. We always had to have it low to the front. There was a guy on our team. His name was Braxton Miller, and he was an arrogant guy who could hit the baseball. I mean, there's one that he hit in 09 that I don't think has landed yet. It's pretty awesome. But he knew it, right? It was just that arrogant type of guy. And he thought that the rules did not apply to him. And one day, he went for the trifecta. He had his hat on backwards. He had a T-shirt on. He had flannel pajama bottoms. If you know anything about Barton College, it is not a huge campus. And our coach worked there. He was there all the time. You could see a lot of people at once. So Braxton, being the lovely guy that he is, walked in, started walking into class, and he turns around, and he sees Coach Wilkinson, our head coach, and he is smiling. Y'all don't know Coach Wilkinson, but if he is smiling, that is not a good thing. It is never a good thing, man. He was not a smiler, not a talker, not a, a guy of many emotions except anger, honestly. And um, he just smiled and waved at him and then just walked away. And he was like, I think I did something wrong. I'm like, yeah, you did something wrong. You did three things wrong, actually. But shortly after that, we got an email said, don't even bother bringing your cleats, your bat, your glove or anything. Bring your running shoes. I was like, all right. So three o'clock comes around. We get to the, the ball field. We start stretching. And all of a sudden, we hear this just engine in the distance. And we're like, what in the world is that? All of a sudden, you could see our coach in a cowboy hat on top of a tractor with a megaphone saying, run now. And that's when I about died. We were being chased by a crazy man in, throughout Wilson. And when I tell you we ran Wilson, we ran Wilson. I mean, that was my first and maybe only, Lori, marathon that I will race. Um, but even though that was a hard race that I had to run, there was, Paul went through in the Bible a, a little bit more heartache on his run, I'm, I'm assuming. From his conversion to his death is measured around 14 years. Within those 14 years, it is believed that he traveled over 10,000 miles by foot. In the spring of that year that he was executed, he was in prison at Rome. And that summer, Paul was executed under the orders of Nero. So like I said, we're going to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Is everybody there? 
I didn't slurp, right? You didn't hear that? I love it. All right, let us read this and then we'll go into prayer. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let us pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for all of these things, man. I thank you for giving me this honor of of coming to your people and preaching. And I thank you for another day of just being able to see your beauty and your, your your grace and your love. Please continue to look after us and please continue to look after our Uganda team. Um, And I pray that these words are satisfying to you, Lord. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, reading 2 Timothy as a whole, I get a feeling that he's in a rush. Um, I got got to tell you some things. Y'all may know me, but I, I, I have my secrets. I have my skeletons. All right? And, and I'm here to tell y'all one today. Do y'all want to hear it? <laughs> my daughter. <laughs> That's great. Hello, my name is Grant McLaughlin, and I like musicals. I know I lost probably some street cred with a few of my buddies that are over here and all that. Um, that's going to be awesome talk at the, at the bonfire later. Um, but uh, mostly one in particular. I am a sucker for stories, and I am a sucker for history. And so there was a musical that came out. That was, it's called Hamilton. Has anybody heard of it? Okay, a little bit. If y'all don't know what that is, it's a musical about the life of Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers. And it, it goes through when he first arrived to America to attend college, to one fight in the Revolutionary War, to becoming Washington's right-hand man, getting married, losing a child, so on and so forth. Um, one of the, it was created by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he is a master at tying in the songs that he used from the beginning into the middle and ending it and all that stuff. And one of the main themes is why do you write like you're running out of time? Because Alexander Hamilton was, uh, he, he directed all the correspondence for George Washington. He helped write the Constitution. Like he was huge in the formation of our country. And it just, he always wrote. He just always would write letters. I mean, he would do it all the time. And so the theme throughout the musical is, why would you write like you're running out of time? This is how I see Paul at this point in, in, of his life. He knows that his time is limited, and he's trying to get out a lot of information to help Timothy. He also, this is where he did not have a son, but he regarded Timothy as his son. 
as, as just a son in Christ, and he is the one that is writing to Timothy. And we understand that right now, Timothy is going through a hard time, that, he's, that he is troubled with something because he is giving him everything he can, as Paul has given everything Timothy can uh, handle. And he's saying, don't, don't be weary. Like, just stay the course, finish the race. So this letter is to Timothy and is aimed towards ministry. Okay, so I want to work within the confines of that. Second Timothy 4, particularly verses 1 through 7, give us insight in what we should expect of our pastor, what we should expect of ourselves as members of this church, and how all believers, pastors and church members alike, uh, should have endurance in this thing called life. Okay, like he was saying, some of us are tired, right? Amen? Amen. All right. So let's go back uh, that first verse. Now, it says we, have fir- we first have to understand the seriousness of the first verse of chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. That is an intense opening line. I mean, that, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, when I was young, Mama. I, sorry, I'm very stubborn. <laughs> and I would not be listening to what my mama would say. She would say, Grant, she would say, sweetie, she would say, honey, whatever that, I wouldn't be listening. But what happens? Grant Morgan McLaughlin. And then I was, I'm like, yes, ma'am, I'm so sorry, what's up? It, and what's really funny is that I thought that I would not have to go through that after I moved out of the house, and then I got married. So that's always... <laughs> That's always great. Love you, babe. Um, But this, to me, it has that same effect. It is direct and shows emphasis to what Paul is about to say. We as a church should recognize the seriousness of what comes with the job of a pastor. This isn't some occupation that you take half-heartedly. And pastors need to be aware of that. And and prospective pastors, if y'all are on the fence about ministry, do not go into ministry. Amen. We honestly have to hold our pastors to a certain standard. Because if you are thinking about going into ministry and you cannot wrap your head that you will be judged by what you do as a pastor, then it it may not be for you. Okay? There are things that pastors are going to have to answer for that we as church members do not have to answer for. Okay? They need to understand that their role as a pastor has serious consequences that they will have to answer for once they get to heaven. James 3.1 states, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So what are some other things that we should expect from our pastors? They're expected to preach the word. That seems simple, right? I mean, it's very direct. There's nowhere to go around it. Preach a word, Right? As a member of this church, I'm not looking for a feel-good seminar every Sunday. When I was young in my faith, I was. I would listen to various popular megachurch pastors, and uh, they would be very funny, uh, very charismatic. They would have an awesome show about them. I mean, their fog machines were on point, man. Lasers bouncing around everywhere. It was, it was fun, and I loved watching it. And then somebody asked me, well, what, what was the preacher talking about? And I was like, 
Well, there's one joke was really funny, right? Like, I could not remember what in the world it was being talked about. And it really hurt, too, because there was this, this mega pastor that I loved, and he was actually very helpful, like, good teacher and all this stuff. And I would listen to him a lot. And he was one day talking about um, dealing with lust and dealing, you know, with, with that. And he said, uh, I remember going to a conference that I listened to this, this man preach, and he said that if I was ever dealing with lust and problems of, of that nature, that I would sit out several different chairs that represented my wife and my daughter and all this, and I would have to have that conversation that daddy isn't coming home. Daddy made a, a bad mistake. Daddy's, daddy's having to move out. And it just, I was like, man, think about what in the world you would have to go that. Like, how much terror that brings and how much just heartache that brings to your family. I was like, that's, that's amazing. Like, that's very informative and all that. And then two months later, he got caught uh, having extramarital affairs. And I was just like, you were just preaching on this, man. Like, what are we doing? We are expected to preach the word. It's not some feel-good seminar every Sunday. Like I said, when I was young, in my faith I was. But now I'm not looking for a feel-good seminar. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm looking for a lighthouse. Something that I can look towards throughout the week, no matter what time of day. I can look and see what this preacher was talking about. RC, or, uh, y'all thought that since Pastor Jason is not here, y'all would be exempt of C.S. Lewis. But I will tell you, y'all are very wrong. Excuse me. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus Christ did not say, go into all the world and tell the world that it is quite right. Preach the word and preach it unapologetically, which rolls into the next set of verses. The rest of, sermon, or, uh, rest of verse 2 says, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is where my simple brain goes to. When does college football season start? About what month? August, September, right around there. When does it end? For some football teams, <laughs> LSU. Shoot, I'll say NC State and UNC. I don't care. Some of it, it ends in December, but for other teams like Alabama, I'm just saying it ends in January, which is funny because I wrote this and then my heart got destroyed for Nick Saban retiring. So if you have any Alabama friends, check on them. We are not okay, man. All right, so just please pray for us on that. But right when I started reviewing everything, I was like, man, I'm, I'm about to eat my words. Um, but, it, but it ends in January. Now, between January or December and, and September, do they just stop working out? Do they stop conditioning? Do they stop studying the, their playbook? Do they stop doing any of that? No, that would be silly. They would not be prepared for when the season comes. So no matter when that is, they are always having to condition their brain, condition their body, condition their spirit 
Like, they have to be ready no matter what. Same thing goes for pastors. And honestly, same thing should go for us as well. Why can we not be ready for no matter what happens? We are all in this earth, whether that be going to school, going to a game, going to work, all of these things. What if somebody from your job asks you about a question in the Bible? Will you be ready? Be ready in season and out of season. Through the off-season, they're trained to be prepared for the next season. The same premise applies for pastors. They constantly have to train their mind, body, and spirit for what lies ahead, no matter what day of the week. Chapter, or, uh, verse 5 says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul tells Timothy, in effect, that even when he is rightly involved in preaching, teaching, instructing, correcting, even when he is known for keeping his head in all situations and learning to endure hardship, he can't forget to do the work of an evangelist. What is evangelism? It's preaching the gospel to the lost and to the unsaved. We can, we can come here every Sunday, every Wednesday, preach, have fun, have a great time, do our Sunday school lessons, sing our songs and all that. And we could go out into the world and it could die here at the doors if we do not take the word to the, to the world. Simple as that. Simple as that. Pastors should be sending the word. And we should as well. We should be promoting the light. We may be the only reason that somebody hears about Jesus. Do not lose that chance. R.C. Sproul, see, I'm just like Jason. I'm, I'm just going to start doing it. R.C. Sproul said, evangelism, on the other hand, is the actual proclamation, either oral or written, but certainly verbal of the gospel. It is declaring the message of the person and work of Christ, who he is and what he has done on behalf of sinners like you and me. That means there are several things that evangelism is not. It is not living your life as an example. It is not building relationships with people. It is not giving one's personal testimony. And it is not inviting someone to church, although that is a good thing. But evangelism is something that is totally different. These things may be good and helpful, but they are not evangelism. They may lay gr the groundwork for evangelism. They may allow others to relate to us. Or they may cause someone to be curious about why we live the way that they do that we do, but they are not evangelism because they do not proclaim the gospel. Simple as that. Preach the gospel into your workplace, into your school, into your relationship. And I'm not saying like husband and wife, in your friendships. Promote the gospel every day. So what should we expect of our pastors? Number one, preach the word. Number two, be sober-minded. Number three, endure suffering. Number four, do the work of an evangelist. And number five, fulfill your ministry. I think five is kind of funny. It's, it's, Notre Dame has 
uh, all I need is 100%. And it's like, oh, is that all you need? Okay. Like, fulfill your ministry is such a loose term. It's like, do everything you can while you still got breath in you. Fulfill your ministry. So we have gone over what should we expect of our pastors, but we also need to understand what should we expect of ourselves as church members. Let's go to verse 3. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Are we not there already in our society today? I mean, hello. We have so many different variations of church that do not proclaim the gospel, that take away, strip everything of the Bible that says that, I'm not even going to go into it. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to listen. Um, I want to sit and park on these two verses for a short while because they are, they're very helpful in our lives. We, are, we all know that churches that cast aside biblical te- teachings of marriage, the biblical teaching of gender or tithing or drinking in excess, the world is filled with churches like that. I get it. But let me suggest to you that that isn't the only way that people or churches do this. When you come here, don't get mad at me, all right? I'm a nice guy. When we come here and we don't want to listen to a particular subject that our pastor preaches, do we turn off our ears? Sometimes it's tithing. Sometimes it's dealing with a sin that you don't want to let go. The, the, the gospel is messy because it comes into our lives and, and it brings to light the mess that we have. We are a sinful people. Who all here likes Thomas Jefferson? Very random question, I know. All right? Who doesn't? I know you do. Yeah? Shake your head, yes. There you go. Um, who isn't, right? He's one of our founding fathers. Uh, he was one of the writers of the Declaration of Independence. He founded the University of Virginia. He was the third president of the U.S. He was essential in the formation of this country and helped shape what it is today. Did you also know, through one of his many accolades, that he wrote a Bible? He wrote his own version of the Bible. It was the Jefferson Bible, very original title, I get it. Um, He was a huge believer in religious freedom and an advocate for Christianity, but he did not believe in the gospel and the miracles that came with that. So he created a Bible that literally left out everything that involved those. There is no story of the Annunciation, the virgin birth, or the appearance of the angels to the shepherds. Guys, the resurrection isn't even involved in that Bible. It is not mentioned once. I say that that's crazy, right? I'm sure that all of us would agree. But are we doing that? 
in other aspects of our life. There are so many times when I look back and I see, man, these, these disciples are absolutely crazy. They're about to leave after they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet they're about to leave Jesus Christ after he died. They, they should have known he was coming back, but yet I still have to do a check in myself of, man, I've seen Jesus work in my life, and there are times where I feel like he's not there. Shame on me. And shame on us, honestly. That even though we don't go to the extremes of Jefferson, we still do that in the quiet, in our minds at times. Let me ask you another way. When it comes to church, are we coming to hear what we want to hear, or are we coming to hear what we need to hear? Are we coming seeking to better our lives and our foundation of our lives based off of God's Word? Is this you? Are you listening to a sermon and you turn off your ears whenever he preaches something that you don't want to hear? Now, here's another story for you. Y'all learning a lot about me. Um, <clears throat> one is that I have cotton mouth when I get nervous. Um, <clears throat> I struggle with ADD. Some of y'all may know this by this sermon. Um, one of the signs of ADD is that you see something online, like you see a YouTube video or a TikTok video, and you are amazed at this. <coughs> so then you spend ungodly amounts of time looking everything up and just, I want to perfect this thing that I've seen, because how hard can it be, right? So one of those things for me was uh, wood burnt flags, which is funny because we have a guy that creates amazing wood burnt flags, and you're going to laugh at this. <coughs> I loved the look. I loved that there was woodworking involved, and I loved that there was fire involved. It was checked all the boxes for me. Uh, um, so one day I got the bright idea that I'm going to make wood burnt flags. There was nothing that could stop me, okay? Um, I read articles. I researched so hard, man. I read articles. I even, and this is sad, I, I messaged a guy that made a living off of wood burnt flags and I like loved his work that he did. And I was like, hey man, can you help me out? And he was like, okay, all right. Looking back now, I was like, that was pretty stupid. Um, I, I, I was watching ungodly amounts of YouTube videos and showing what I needed to get, how I needed to do it, finding all the process of uh, making wood burnt flags. All the while, Taylor, and don't get a big head. Every time I would bring up wood burnt flags, she was like, what are you doing? What are, what, what's happening here? What are you planning on doing with this? And I was like, baby, we're going to make so much money out of this. We are going to be a wood burnt flag kingdom and nobody can touch us. We are going to sleep on piles and piles and piles of money and wood burnt flags. Where is that wood burnt flag today? In a wood pile, 
Some of them stained, all of them cut incorrectly, but definitely all of them burned. That was pretty fun. Some of y'all are learning that I'm a, a pyro today. But don't be like me when it comes to your life in the church. Let your ego aside. Endure sound teaching. Stay the course. Don't get these grandiose ideas. Do not stay in the fight. Stay in the race. Here's something I want us to to recognize. And and this is a a serious moment. And I also want to thank Pastor Jason because he asked me to preach. And he said, okay, here's a date of when you need your verses to send me. Here's when you're going to preach to me. And I literally, he was sitting in the sound booth and I was just preaching here. And we sat for two hours talking about my sermon, but also talking about the grace of God. And it was absolutely amazing. But one of the things that he brought to me is where's the gospel? In your message, where's the gospel? Because if I don't preach the gospel, what are we doing here? Right? Christ died for you. He died for me. He died for everyone in here. He took the weight of sin of this entire world, even for the ear ticklers. And can we also say that ear ticklers, it's just a weird term. It seems a little, little creepy. It seems a little weird. But he died for the ear ticklers. He died for the people that bounce from church to church, that want to listen to one particular sermon and don't want to listen to the gospel. He died for them too. And it took me a while to, to really fully grasp that. Because you can look at that as ear ticklers. You can also see people in other religions. You could see all of these things. He died for everybody. And I researched a while, like a few years ago, the science behind Christ's crucifixion. And it's hard. It's hard to read. It's hard to hear the explanations. Was he anxious and nervous to die for it? Absolutely. He was literally in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood because his blood pressure was that high. He was flogged and and beaten and mocked and When I mean flogged, he was flogged. His back was open. Bones were showing. This was when the uh, crown of thorns was, was mashed into his head and a robe was put around him. And the robe acted as a bandage. Not many people know that. They acted as a bandage so it could stop further blood loss. However, the Romans being the Romans, they ripped that back off. And the bleeding continued profusely. He was beaten within an inch of his life. And he hung on the cross. I'll admit there's been times where I've wanted to have my ears tickled. There are times where I don't want to hear a particular sermon. But I will tell you this. The gospel of Jesus Christ turned me from wanting to have my ears tickled to have new ears. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Be old. The new has come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he has given us new ears. New ears to hear sound doctrine in the gospel. New eyes to see the glory of Christ. New arms and hands to raise and praise. New legs and new feet to go into the highway and hedges and preach the gospel. New soul on fire for the love of Christ. And a new mouth shouting from the mountaintops the glory of God. Yes, there will be people that turn away from sound doctrine. But I am telling you that there is a person that is in the daily routine of having their ears tickled and they hear the gospel for the first time and it changes them immediately. When you hear the gospel and it pierces your heart, you don't want to turn back. You see the love of Christ being displayed Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you don't want to go back to the strobe lights. You don't want to go back to the fog machines. You don't want to go back to the funny and witty humor. You want to hear about Jesus. And when they don't see Jesus, maybe that is why Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Like I said, that seems simple. But when you don't preach the word, people don't see Jesus. And when they don't see Jesus, they want things of this world. In closing, if you want to, you can come up to strum a little guitar. I'll start playing the bagpipes. <laughs> Did y'all also know that we have a bagpipe shop in Zebulon? How crazy is that? I didn't know that there was such high demand. It's meant to be. (laughs) Verses 6 and 7 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This continues to show that Paul saw the writing on the wall. That he was going to be executed, and he knew it. In closing, I want to be real with you. There are times where I'm tired of fighting, man. I became a a Christian nine, ten years ago. And before Jesus, I lived a crazy life. I was not the nicest guy that you would know. Would look for any time to fight, drink, cuss, whatever. In, in my Christian infant mind, I thought, well, when I accept Jesus Christ, it's going to be better. Boy, was I wrong in that aspect. Um, some of y'all may know, some of y'all may not. Um, Tay and I, we've had three miscarriages, um, the latest Uh, dating back to, I believe, last, not this past December, but the December before that. And 
doesn't, there's no manual there. And what's crazy is that we would go to a specialist, everything looks fine, everything's great, all of that is well. And then one day, doctor tells us, I'm sorry. And then, friends and family that we told would say, I'm sorry. And I understand what they were doing, and a lot of them are here, and they've been so supportive and, and loving towards our family. And I'm very, uh, very thankful. But there got to a point where I was tired of I'm sorry. I was tired of hearing it. I was tired of thinking it. I was tired. We can never find an exact reason why. I will never know why until I see Jesus. Ever. But here is something that I do know. Every day, I will get up, I'll kiss my kids and wife goodbye, and I will fight the good fight. I will finish the race. I will have kept the faith. Not faith in the world, not faith in pregnancy specialists, not faith in OBGYNs, not faith in a doctor, but faith in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that one day, I won't hear I'm sorry anymore. I'll hear two things. Well done, thy good and faithful servant from Jesus Christ and daddy from my babies. A lot of us get tired. And a lot of us, it is easy to stray away from church. It is. I understand it. But man, if you only knew, if you had not had that encounter of the gospel piercing your heart, if you only knew how much you needed day in and day out. If I miss a church service, I am miserable and I am not fun to be around that next week. I'm not. We have made plans based around church because we know how instrumental it is to us. Once you hear the gospel, there is no turning back. I hope y'all have heard the gospel today, and I hope that y'all take it with you wherever you go. This is a time to reflect on the sermon. If y'all want to come and talk to me, if y'all want to do, if you want to say how bad it was, or if I should take bagpipe lessons, now is a time to come up to me, uh, but this is a time of, of thought and prayer.